Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Well, continuing on in Parsha and more, I want to go ahead and bring down some gematrias. So this is B. This is B. Wow. This B. The segment known as a more RPM gematria. So first up, we have that. And more is spelled Aleph Mem Resh. It's just three Hebrew letters. Take you to another place. And if you look at the Gematria, it's 241. So let's go ahead and start rearranging the letters like Scrabble style, shall we? First one we have Mem Aleph Resh. Maor. Also, you can say Ma'ir. As in uh, Mishle twenty nine thirteen, that says Hashem gives light to the eyes. Mm. So my ear is adding a yod, which you can also do, by the way, to a word. Uh, it's called deficient spellings. So my or could be actually my or with a vav, or it could be my ear with a yod. So, just as a heads up on that, I want to give us a little commentary from uh, Mishle over here. Shomer Blue on deck, 2913. It says that the translation follows the Mizuto. It says, the pauper and the broken man have had their fates ordained, it is Hashem who enlightens the eyes of both. So, all right, so we're going to talk about Hashem enlightening the eyes of a pauper and a broken man. Okay, a broken man, you can see Tehillim 72.14, was once wealthy and the pauper was always poor. Nothing occurs by chance. Everyone's experiences are divinely ordained. How about that? Why is that man poor? Why is that man rich? Why am I not rich? You know, or why am I rich? Wherever you fall on that spectrum, just know it's divinely ordained. The only thing, by the way, just to point out some more things on that. The only thing that was not divinely ordained is whether or not you would be righteous or a chasve shalom, rasha, which is a wicked person. So uh, if you're going to be a zadik or a rasha, that was not ordained. So you have a choice. So the crazy, amazing part about that is that no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, you still have the opportunity to choose if you're going to be righteous or not. But anyway, it goes on to say, the latter part of the verse adds that if their fortunes change, that is also Hashem's decree. Now, let's go ahead and connect in a letter, shall we? Shaul himself talks about, I can do all things, right? I can do all things through Mashiach who strengthens me. That is from Philippians. Well, let's let's get a bigger uh, scope on that, shall we? Let's go back to uh, verse 10. So we're in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, 
verse 10. Now I rejoice greatly in Hashem that at last you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this out of need, for I have learned. Here's the key verse. To be content regardless of my circumstances. Because why? They could change. And why? Our circumstances are divinely ordained. Next verse. I know how to live humbly and I know how to abound. Some translations. What do some translations say? He says, uh, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Uh, It says, uh, I've learned what it is to be in need. I've learned what it is to have plenty. That's the NIV. The NLT says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Let me see if they got the message Bible. Because the message Bible has always intrigued me. Are we going to talk about it? Nope. Anyway, not that we should be uh, reading the Message Bible, but I just always found it interesting that that, that existed. How about the uh, New American Standard? I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Okay, okay, calm down. All right. So anyway, so that's verse 12. He says, I can do all things through Mashiach who gives me strength. And yeah, so that's totally a thing, right? Well, here we are in this verse here. It says, Hashem is the one who enlightens the eyes. And we're talking about the word my ear, which is a rearrangement of my or more our Pasha for the week, which, by the way, more means say. So we're talking about what Hashem is telling us to say. Okay. And Hashem himself is saying this to us. So within the aspect of saying, you have this element of illumination. So it goes on to say here, Mary understands that the latter phrase as encouragement that neither party should lose hope. Come on, man. Did we not read your show talking about that? It's okay. I learned how to get by regardless of my circumstances because I know Hashem appointed him because I can do all things through Mashiach, who is what? The saying of Hashem. Mashiach is the Amor, by the way. He's the one who speaks to us the words of Hashem. So, through Mashiach, we can have hope regardless of our circumstances, right? So it says... The Vilna Gaon renders the the word for they will meet, which in the Ivrit is Nev Gashu, uh, coming from the word uh, Yigash, like as in Vayigash and to approach. It says, i.e. the poor and the broken man meet together and cry out to Hashem, who hears their prayers and provides them relief. One of the things we also have to make sure we're doing as well is crying out to Hashem for relief, you know, regardless of our circumstances. He appointed them, and yeah, we got to go through them. But again, we have to talk to him, talk to him through the whole time. You know, uh, that was one of the things that I literally firsthand got to just walk through as I was temporary on furlough that, you know, okay, Hashem, I had a job and now I don't. 
And it's just like, well, I've always been your provider. So whether or not you have a job doesn't change my responsibility to you. You're my son. And I'm like, well, you're my dad and I trust you. And so that was a, uh, a, yeah, it wasn't easy. Let's just put it that way. But let's just say Hashem held up his end of the deal and I get to go back to work. So, Hashem. So whether I had a job or whether I didn't have a job, I had to learn how to be in Hashem and understand even if I do have a job, that he still is the person who provides. So I may think, oh, yeah, I'm killing it. I'm going to get a paycheck and I'm working and I'm getting paid. And it's like, who is the one who's behind all that? That is Hashem. So. Continuing to look to Hashem is going to be now the new challenge. It'll be like, okay, I'm back at work. Everything's fine. Woo. Man, that was crazy. It's like, okay, but let's just be grateful for a moment or a lot of moments. <laughs> okay. So going on, it says the raw bog applies this verse to two people struggling to understand a complex subject. One has a poor mind. The other entertains so many thoughts that he does not concentrate properly. Hashem will help them both to attain clarity. Man, come on now. I love this because many of us who didn't grow up in Torah and know anything about Torah portions and observance and stuff, we feel like, oh my gosh, like another thing that I didn't know, wasn't aware of, and that's so different from what I was taught. Now I got to look at this a whole different way. My whole thought's pattern changing all this kind of stuff and it's like yeah you mean like if someone uh just feels like they have a poor mind and you have or you're on the other end of the spectrum you got so many thoughts and you're trying to put them all together and you can't concentrate and can't focus guess what hashem helps us so that's really cool because again we're, we're in the middle of counting the omer right now and if you're not counting your omer uh what's wrong with you but, uh, yeah, like counting this Elmer, Hashem is helping us. Those of us who are poor or those of us who are just loaded and we can't even concentrate. We're so loaded. Hashem is like, let me help both of y'all. Okay. So the neat thing about that is the poorest person and the richest person are connected in Hashem. And again, you go back to what we talked about in, in, in uh, the Torah portion of love your neighbors, you love yourself, Parsha Kedoshim, that you associate yourself with the greatest and with the least simultaneously. Like the Metzora. If you go back to that Parsha, he had to go get a cedar branch and he also had to go get hyssop. Well, hyssop and cedar couldn't be farther apart on the spectrum. And yet they're combined in this this person who has to bring these elements to the Cohen so he can be purified. Teaching us exactly what Mashiach said. Even if you've done to the least of them, you've done unto me. Mashiach said, I associate with people who are naked, people who are hungry, people who are in prison. Those are the people I associate with. But we're like, but Mashiach, you're the king of the universe. And it's like, yeah. And I have compassion on my people i have compassion on all of creation so just a little neat thing there about the poor and the rich all together the greatest and the least all together it says homiletically the pauper is an unlearned but sincerely pious jew 
who performs the mitzvot without understanding but with dedication. That's probably going to be one of the biggest things. I thought about this as I was getting ready for this podcast that I was like, man, you know, there are some people who just got here. There are some people who've been here. Some people uh, part of Lapide and Sarshalom and Avengers and all this. And what time does, you know, is absolutely incredible. You know, like just to think about five solid years of humble emphasis on humble because again none of us need to ever feel like we know it all and if we do yeah it's probably better for you not to uh not to yeah now i mean what i wanted to say is probably better for you not to be in the community but uh it's best for you myself included to uh lower ourselves if we ever feel like that there's always something missing okay just just know that believe that trust that oh man receive that you know because okay again because i i've been there and not just saying just because i've been there i can tell you don't do that but here's an example when I thought I knew it all, when I thought I was better than the rabbi and the Beit Dean put together with every single member of the shul, because, yeah, I used to think that. And by the way, I almost lost my faith in like in totality. Like, you know, that that whole some have shipwrecked themselves that dropped that Shaul talked about. I believe it's in the writings of Timothy. I'm not going to go there because that's not really the point. But just know that's a thing. You can shipwreck your faith. Hence. You know, being observant is like being out on a ship because you're in a sea of Torah. But anyway, don't shipwreck yourself. That's horrible. I I did practically shipwreck myself. But here's the thing. What I failed to realize is that when you're in a community, not everyone's on the same, like, speed limit. Not everyone learns with the same quickness, clarity. And even when we do learn, we all learn very differently. Because we can all hear the same drosh. And every person who heard it all has a different thing that they heard, they interpreted, and they can also expound upon or not expound upon. But we all heard the same thing. Okay, so that's one thing. And then... Go back to the understanding of when a Jewish baby is born, it takes at least 12 years for them to understand how to even read from the Torah scroll and much less learn their Torah portion, much less be able to give a drosh on their Torah portion. It takes at least 12 years and only eight out of those 12 years are actual learning time. Okay, so here we are thinking we're grown and we're adults. We fail to realize the time frame of things that there should be nothing required of you for at least 12 years. The fact that you're observing the Shabbat to the best of your ability and you're involved in the community to the best of your ability, service is included. You should be serving somewhere. Okay. That's something. 
And as I was kind of in this boat, I didn't take any of that information into account. And so I began to look down on people. And why are we not doing this? Why are other synagogues doing that? Okay. And so then you get into the other part of the equation, looking around, looking outside. Okay. Such and such teachers on YouTube, such and such synagogues down the street, such and such rabbis you researched in their communities. Uh, I want to live in an Arab. I want to be accepted by Jews everywhere. Okay. If any of these things come into your scope and you feel like Sar Shalom and Lapid is not legit and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, you're in the process of shipwrecking. Now, maybe you're wanting to transition and go, quote unquote, further, which whatever that means, we don't know. Uh, I still didn't know what that meant because going further for me was going to a synagogue that was less observant than Sar Shalom which was crazy to me because it's like, ah, oh, yeah, they, they do all Hebrew in these services, but it's like, well, the women were keepers. Do we really want that? Uh, but I didn't care. It was just like anywhere, but Sar Shalom is fine. So anyway, uh, so that happened, right? So that's the thing is just think about five years of humble dedication to observance. I mean, you're going to probably, no, you're not going to probably, you will be one of the most ninja, one of the most ill, one of the dopest Jewish people walking the planet. I guarantee it. Because you can't tell me you've been through five Pesachs, getting after it, being frustrated, feeling like a failure, and here comes Pesach again for the sixth time, and you're you're like, okay, I have failed at this five times. Here go again. I'm going to be successful this time. You will be more successful than you were in the previous five years. I guarantee you. Because why? You learn from your mistakes. Humble, humble, dedicated people, they learn. They, they fail. They go through the challenges. They go through the ups and downs. And they take into account what happened. And so that they can improve and make progress, even though it's quote unquote slow, which again, whatever that means, who says that progress has to be slow because you're not doing it by a certain time that another person thinks you should have this done by just because you've done six pay socks don't mean you need to know exactly how to get all the hummets out. Okay. What if you didn't, what if you were unaware of new products and what if you haven't per se studied other particular aspects to these yom tovim these appointed times because oh my gosh if you really want to study how to do each appointed time it's going to take you more than a lifetime to learn just one aspect of it so so think about that and again rabbi friedman shlita he was bringing down that we observe the Torah of Hashem imperfectly. I was like, wait, you're saying you observe imperfectly? Oh my gosh. Human just happened. You know, because we look at we look at all these rabbis and think, oh, super Jews, like they, they got their own community. They live in Israel. It's amazing. It's like, uh yeah, I mess up in the Torah sometimes. And if we could all be like that, by the way, how blessed would that be? 
just just take take the phony masks off, you know. Anyway, just want to encourage us all that, you know, humble dedication, man. You feel like you failed and you're so frustrated. You're so done. You're so, you're just so put out. You're like, whatever, man. Like, I'm not good enough. Nobody thinks I'm good enough. Everybody looks down on me anyway. I guarantee you not everybody looks down upon you. Now, whether or not people look down upon you shouldn't really even be a motivation anyway. Because are you or are you not doing this for Hashem? Because if you're not doing this for Hashem then that's the reason why your ship is sinking. You should be so enthralled with Hashem that when somebody tells you you're not good enough, you're like, well, Hashem told me I was. Because why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship with Him. And if you were in a relationship with Him, you wouldn't tell me things like that because that hurts my feelings. That discourages me. That tears me down. And again, if we're using our mouth to bless Hashem and tear other people down, ouch I mean according to the wellsprings of Torah then the very blessings and the very observance that we claim to have we nullify it that's right if we shame or abuse another human being especially a Jew and tell them that they're not good enough we nullify our own observance you don't bless Hashem and curse somebody. You don't bless Hashem and blast somebody. Furthermore, Wellsprings of Torah brings this down as well. This is all from Parashat Kedoshim because that's what I got to read. Wellsprings of Torah. Shouts out to each Pela. <laughs> but anyway, I love going through his bookshelf and just randomly grabbing books and reading. But anyway, so, and there it says if you really want to rebuke somebody, you got to rebuke yourself first. And rebuke yourself with them. So you got to realize that one of the main reasons why this person isn't up to your par is because you're not up to par. And then you have to figure out why you're not up to par and approach that person to help them come up to quote unquote par. Which usually that never is really part of the equation. So really there's never really uh, opportunity to rebuke because... You know, unless the, self, unless, the, unless the self-introspection has kicked in, and unless the self-rebuke has kicked in, then, uh, yeah. But chances of that happening, I mean, who knows? When it When is the last time you saw that? Someone who, who apparently needed to be rebuked, um, it was between two parties. So that person who wanted to do the rebuke and the person who needed to get rebuked, those two people went off aside and the person who did the rebuke rebuked themselves first rebuked themselves while they were rebuking the other person and also pull the other person up i mean when have we seen that i haven't but apparently if you're going to rebuke somebody that's the protocol and if you're going to not do it that way then you end up being the blasphemer who's at the end of this week's tour portion who's known as the son the son of shlomit bat divri So, be humble. <laughs> That's totally apparently a, a a song that came out maybe a year or so ago. Sit down, be humble. I don't know. But anyway, that literally is what we have to all do. So the popper, again, this is all Proverbs twenty nine thirteen. So this is just crazy. So amazing. 
The pauper is unlearned but sincerely pious Jew who performs commandments without understanding but with dedication. Now, on the other hand, it says the Ish Tekakim is a scholar who understands the Tuk, which is the content and significance of the mitzvah. Both of them, say both, illuminate the heavenly realms with their deeds. Because Hashem appreciates, say Hashem appreciates, put some stank on it, Hashem appreciates their devotion to the Torah. So apparently there's haters going to hate Proverbs 5, 8. But now if you act in mean, Proverbs 29, 13, that's what needs to happen. What does Proverbs 5, 8 even say? Distance yourself or distance your way from her. Do not come near the door of her house. Okay. Proverbs 5, 8. Interesting. Beware of enticement that leads to doom. That's interesting. Hate is going to hate Proverbs 5, 8. Anyway, uh, so just for that, what that's worth, just throw that out there. All right, back to uh, my, my ear, my oar. So um, if you go to the dictionary to Targum meme, if you look at Mem Aleph Resh, my oar, it also means the word for Lord. Yeah, kind of like. You know, a respective title to someone who is above you. So, Parsha and more, rearranging to Ma'or, is teaching us how to be uh, respectful to someone who is above us. And by the way, did you know we're supposed to treat each other uh, as each other is a, like, if, treat each other like the other person is above you? The way it's said is esteem one another. Let's see here. It is. Oh, we're still in Philippi. Okay, so chapter two this time instead of chapter four. Do nothing out of this is verse three. So the Agarit, the letter to the Philippians, chapter two, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or gain or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. In other words, my or treat each other as my or because each of you, if you're dedicated to Hashem, Hashem is appreciative of that and it's it's bringing glory to the father, basically. So, whether you're killing it or whether you feel like it's killing you, if both of you are in the ring of Torah and you're giving it all you got, that's what matters. So, let's go ahead and go back to another interpretation or rearrangement of Immor. You get the word Rama. 
Now, it says Rama is the word for height, high, or exalted. Uh, if you've seen my Facebook profile, I have this weird-looking uh, name on there. It's Amet Eliram. I know it looks weird because it's Hebrew. For those of people who are not affiliated with Hebrew too much, they're like, uh, what? what? what is this? Hieroglyphics? You know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, who are you? Reveal yourself. And then I'm wearing a showman suit in my picture. Well, it's not me in the suit, but, you know, that's what my suit would look like if I had one. But, uh, yeah, and it's just like, who are, who is this guy? Who's Shomer Man? And it's like, that's a Met, Ellie Rum. So all that to say, uh, Ellie Rum is directly translated as, my God is high and lofty. It's a composite of two words, Eli, which is my God, and Ram, which is the root of Rama, which means high, lofty, exalted. So the only thing high, lofty, and exalted about me is basically what I'm saying, Hashem. My God is the one who I consider high and lofty. So therefore, if I ever consider myself high and lofty, then I just need to remove the name Eli, which would be remove my God from myself. And then it's like, well, enjoy your loftiness. Lofty truth over there who got rid of God. That's who that guy is. And it's like, oh, shalom that that happens. So if I ever get the big head, then just pull my arc reactor out, choke me out a little bit, and then hopefully when I wake up and need a new haircut, I can make some shuba. So anyway, um, but just just to point out the use of rum, and uh, that's literally a part of my name. So, all right. Rama is used in Mishle 25.3. So glad to be in Proverbs, by the way. Just a Shomer Man podcast over here, all about Proverbs and letters. <laughs> 25.3, what do we got for the people? Now, it's going to use a different form of this word, but Rama is going to be the root of it. It says... The heavens for height, the earth for depths, and the heart of kings cannot be fathomed. Commentary says, Just as the extent of the sky and the depth of the earth cannot be imagined, so it is impossible to understand the hearts of kings. So it is impossible to understand the hearts of kings. Wow. Except Hashem. Well, no, not really. Because even though we know Hashem's heart, do we really understand the depths of it? I mean, because we're going to be learning about it for eternity. Because, you know, the Torah is the heart of God and stuff. First letter and last letter of Torah, put them together, it makes the word heart. So therefore, the Torah is the heart of Hashem. Going on to say, they must pay attention to different parts of the country's states and provinces attend to a wide variety of issues and make decisions every day. That's Rashi and Shabbat 11a. It says, of which outsiders are unaware. That's the Malbim. Alternatively, kings are Torah scholars, according to the Vilna Gaon and Gittin 62a. Rabbi Shlomo Wolby 
of the Alay Shur, Volume 2, explains that the heart of a great scholar is emotionally connected to his study, his prayer, and his performance of mitzvot. No matter how much he accomplishes, he always seeks to grow more. Such is the boundless heart of the Torah king. Okay, first of all, I do realize it just said that Torah scholars are called kings. But at the very end, it says the heart of the Torah king. In other words, the Torah is a king. Well, I mean, obviously, some of you may have already known that, which is why I'm kind of feeling like people are going, oh, yeah, you didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that. I knew that. You know, but anyway, uh, no, that's probably not people doing that. But we like to say that as a joke, by the way, between the Avengers, because we're always like sourcing stuff out and like sharing insights with each other. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know that? Like, Come on, man. I ain't never heard that before. Why are you throwing that at me? Anyway, because if we really mean, meant that, you know, we wouldn't say it because it's just like, oh, well, here, I really want to share this with you, you know. Anyway, uh, it's just kind of a fun thing to do. And like one of the coolest things to do, if you ever get the opportunity, if you're ever joshing with the Avengers, even if you didn't know it, like if they share this insight with you and you just go, oh, you didn't know that. Oh, that would be like such, that would be just like, everybody would just fall out of their chairs. We'd be just like, wow. You know, but anyway, um, just, just a little inside, uh, information for y'all. The Avengers love uh, jovial fun or good, good, clean fun. One of them is saying, oh, you didn't know that. Anyway, it's never to put anybody down. But uh, and we also know because what makes it so funny is that we know that unless you've studied a subject at least 40 times or 101 times or 400 times, you're not allowed to be like, yeah, what's wrong with you? How come you didn't know that? So, anyway, the the actual truth side to all of that is that. So, we like to just kind of, you know, ease the tension a little bit and just say, oh, you didn't know that? You know? Or be like, yeah, I knew that. Anyway. Interesting humor. Some of us have. Not saying that you need to adopt that custom, but it's just kind of one of the fun things that we do. Because if you're not having fun while you're studying Torah, I mean, come on. You're, uh, you're leaving stuff out. Anyway, the thing that I want to bring down, okay, the Torah is the king. And um, I've been thinking about this because we have a Torah procession that we do. And we dance with the Torah during Simchat Torah. And uh, there's synagogues, and we're now one of them, that crown the Torah. The Torah has crowns on it. And it's kind of like, wow, we really, like, we're worshiping the king as we worship the Torah. I mean, we don't really, like, worship the Torah like like that. We realize that when we're, when we're bowing to the Torah, when we're being respectful to the Torah, we're being respectful to Hashem. So there's, like, like, like there's a whole thing with that. So therefore, when we see about the Talmudim and how Mashiach is always called Lord, you know, like Ma'or here, or Mara. Yeah, Ma'or. Yeah, Ma'or is Lord. Uh, that is just kind of like, wow. Which pun funny that you can go pun intended, Ma'or, like my or, my light. 
and that's what my word means, my light. But anyway, so yeah, we realized that yeah, we're talking about blessing Hashem, even though it's Mashiach. So anyway, that's one thing to talk about height because Rama has to do with that. So saying is also connected to the word for lifting up high and plumbing the depths of the Torah and um, understanding that we won't get to fully know the heart of the king. We can continue to learn it, but it's like as it says, it is impossible to understand the hearts of kings. So you, you basically we won't be able to ever figure Hashem out. Which is crazy, because how long are we going to be learning? For eternity? Okay, yeah. And we're still going to barely scratch the surface. That's intense if you really think about it. We have a finite Torah that is infinitely deep. And if you go for hours studying it, you're barely scratching the surface. I love it. The next word for more is the word Mara which is actually the roots of the Mashiach's mother's name, Miriam, actually comes from the word Mara, which means bitterness. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, Ruth says, don't call me Ruth, call me Mara, because of the bitterness that has come to her. Or, Slika, don't don't call me Naomi, which, by the way, means pleasant tree. But call me Mara. You know, I'm bitter. It's like, but you're such a pleasant tree. Now I'm bitter. And then you go back to the account in the Torah portion of the tree that was thrown into the water that made the water sweet. Well, that happened at Mara. They came to Mara. This is Shemot 15, 23. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place was called Mara. Okay, now, the interesting thing about this is that this is connected to uh, the Tehillim about today, if you'll hear his voice, talking about entering to entering into Hashem's rest. So, let me go to that. That's the psalm there. Uh, which one? Yeah, 95, Baruch Hashem. And it says that, um, yeah, here it is, verse 8. So, telling 95, 8. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me. So, if you look at this word, Meribah, Okay, Mariva, which comes from the word for contend, which is the word reeve, which, by the way, um, rearranges to uh, rabbi. Yeah, reeve and rabbi, contender. Those are connected. But if you look at what was going on here, we hardened our hearts at a place of contention and trial. Which comes from the word masa, which is temptation, 
also related to despair, has to do with testing. So in a place of striving and a place of testing that we harden our hearts, which is exactly what was going on with Naomi. She was in a place of contention and testing because she had just gone through super difficulties and now it's just her and her two daughter-in-laws. That is a challenging place to be. So she's like, no, this isn't pleasant right now. Call me Mara. So anyway, that when we learn about today hearing Hashem's voice, it's all in the context of making sure that everything that we're going through, that we need to contend and we need to strive and we need to go through these challenges and hear Hashem's voice and not, not harden our hearts. Because again, divinely ordained circumstances is what we're dealing with. Hashem knows. And yeah, it's challenging. So even Naomi learned that. And what ended up happening to Naomi? She was able to mother the lineage of David. You realize when Ruth gave birth to Obed that he was called a son better than seven sons. And it said that Naomi gave birth to a son who was better than seven sons. Let's go to that. Um, Go over here. Ruth chapter four. Yep. Okay. It is chapter four and we're going to go to verse 14. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a kinsman redeemer. May his name become famous in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. It's an interesting way to put that. Let's get a better translation, shall we? I mean, what is going on here? Sometimes can be easily tripped up. Okay. So, yeah. So, may he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So, and again, they're talking about Obed. And it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. So she like mothered him, basically. And then the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Yeshai, the father of David. So, Naomi went from a very, very, very bitter situation. She was very challenged. She had a lot of contesting to do because, I mean, she's a a widow, older lady. What is she going to do at her wit's end? How how are we going to go now? You know, what are we going to do? And it's just like, Hashem's got it. 
we'll t- we'll have your daughter-in-law convert to Judaism, and uh, then she'll get married to Boaz, and then you'll bring forth the king of Israel. How about that? Guarantee you, as Naomi was saying, call me Mara, she was not expecting Mashiach to come from that. Same thing with our situation, expecting Mashiach to come from it. Like, how far does he seem to be away from us now? You go from the week of unleavened bread into the latter part of Nisan, and you're feeling like, oh, man, like the world shut down. This would be such a perfect time for Shem to show up. Feeling the height of just coming out of Egypt, literally, because everything's matching up on the calendar, and then, you know, he's not here. And it's just like, things are starting to open back up now. Things are getting crazy. Still, you know, protests are happening, and whoa almost throwing my stuff and then everybody's just kind of shouting news and blasting media all stuff everywhere and who knows what if it is true and what if it's not and it's just like oh man like really how do we go from that to this you know so anyway mashiach can come at any moment our goal is to continue to again make a landing pad for him which means turn this world into an olive. Okay? Like, whatever we can. And, you know, again, we got to be beloved to one another. We got to sanctify the mundane. You know, bring Hashem's glory down into the lowest parts. Make this world a dwelling place for Hashem, basically is what it's said. Now, another way the word more rearranges. Oh, and the side note on the Mara and Amor as we're looking at bitterness sometimes parts of the Torah seem bitter to us we're just like oh I can't stand that like what do you mean I can't go to so and so's funeral and I can't defile myself and all this kind of stuff because you know there are people who are not a part of covenant and they unfortunately pass away and it's like well it's Shabbat or Yom Tov or whatever and it's like you can't go to their service and it's like I, I can't. It's Shabbat, you know, and this would not be the time to bring up. Well, Mashiach's mom kept the Shabbat and she didn't even bury her own son. How many of the mothers out there could do that? You know, but anyway, Miriam did it. And her name again comes from the word Mara. She took bitterness and turned it into candle lighting. She watched her son die a horrible death and she was like time to go light candles it's time to celebrate the seder and here we go it's pesach the week of unleavened bread i mean come on man like that's heavy all right so anyway the word of god you know if it seems bitter to us we have the potential and the ability to master ourselves and sweeten it But we have to want to, you know, that's part of it. The other way and more rearranges is to re'im, as in Bamibar 23.22, says that um, he is for them like the horns of the wild ox. So Rebbeinu Bakya brings down, like the wild ox, it says... An aggressive ox, by the way. 
in this simile, Belam compares Hashem's power to that of a Re'im, just as elsewhere Hosea had compared him to a roaring lion. Hosea 11.10 These two animals are the most powerful ones in creation. Seeing that the Torah employs syntax, which is understandable in the terms of our verse, of the language, it is not a downgrading of Hashem's greatness to employ such similes. The Torah endeavors to make its message understandable to our ears. That's from Tankuma Yitro 13. So just bringing down the fact here, we're looking at the strength of Hashem like an aggressive ox is the word for Re'im. As far as our context in Bami Bar 23. And Belam of all people, the donkey loving prophet who was like, whatever to the Torah. But I guess it's true. I just, I'm not doing it. That guy. He testifies to Hashem's power and Hashem's majesty. And we're looking at Amor and Re'im being the same thing. And this is Hashem's aggressive power and majesty through his gentle way of speaking with us. Because Amor is a softer speech definition rather than Devar. Or Daber, which means to speak. So we're looking at speaking, which is Daber, versus saying, which is a more. And more is a softer way of Hashem con communicating with us. So, even in that uh, softer way, it's still with power and majesty. So I just think that's really cool that even someone like Belam would acknowledge that. And then here we are in Parsha more. And Hashem is saying, okay, kingdom of priests. Da, 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 da. So how much more so us being able to receive very powerful words in a very gentle way from Hashem. So the next thing is the standard gematria. We know is 241. Uh, I didn't get anything on 241. So let me go ahead and do that just to cover those bases 241 pulling up the diagram here boom 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 we have okay Re'im okay so yeah so Re'im Ma'or and Mara and Rama those are all the same oh and this one Ha'kiyor is also the Gematria 241, which is what? The shiny laver. So this Torah portion of Amor is likened to the shiny laver, which this, by the way, is the article of the Mishkan in the temple where the Kohanim would come and they would examine themselves and use the waters of this laver to cleanse all blemishes. So... As we go through the Parshav and more, we're called to examine ourselves and make corrections of our blemishes, which really, again, is the Omer. Like Hashem is giving us an opportunity to really look at different aspects of ourselves. And by the way, each week of the Omer 
reason why we're going through seven days of one omer is because each omer, each week of the omer is about a specific uh, emotional makeup of who we are. And it connects to one of the seven shepherds. Okay, because you have Chesed, who is Abraham. You have Gevura, which is Yitzhak. You have Teferit, which is Yaakov. We're in the week of Netzach, which is Moshe. So if we focus on Moshe this week and look at all the different aspects of these other Sephirot we've been looking at, you know, that's another thing. Going on, there's Hod, which is Aharon. There is Yesod, which is Yosef. And then there's Malkut, which is David. Melek David, that is. And so you have these beautiful examples uh, that we get to look up to for each week as we're going through these different aspects and emulating, you know, uh, these shepherds you know, of Israel and really making these corrections and uh, transformations within ourselves. So the other thing is the gematria of Imor. I want to bring down the Mispar Katan, Mispari, that we learned from last year. Or, wow, last year. Wasn't that long ago. It was last week I introduced this gematria where you uh, add up all the numbers. So like 2 plus 4 plus 1, that's 7. Okay, so uh, if you look at seven, well, we learned about seven being the natural, being things that are going on in this world. Uh, I got my numbers book over here, but first I want to go to the Zion because Zion is seven. The letters are numbers and the numbers are letters. So if you want to look for the significance of the letter seven, you can also look at the meaning of Zion. So it says Zayin is masculine, which is Zakar. Zakar is the way to say male. It says, and there belongs to this man a beard, Zakan. That's how you say beard. And this man is old, which is Zakain. Commonly said Zakin. And this man can look back through time, which is Zaman, and he remembers, which is Zakir, everything. And then it says, Zakor Yamot Olam, remember the days of the universe gone by. So we have remembrance, we have man, we have maturity. Uh, let's see here. If the foot of the Zion is too long, extending below the line, then it will be confused with the noon so feet. If no other hand, or if on the other hand, its head is not clearly squared off, then it will be confused with the Vav. So extending too much with the Zion, you become a noon so feet or if you get a big head then you're calling yourself a vav so again and we learned about vav being the mashiach but the Zion has to do with the man 
the wise man. And so if the wise man gets a little too ahead of himself, or if he tries to exert himself beyond his limits, then he changes his uh, his very existence into something that is not right for Zion. Beautiful things that come about when you really look at how the letters are composed. So a Zion out of hand either is a noon so feet or a vav. And you don't want to get involved in debt. The, le the, the number seven from the Jewish wisdom in the number says, in summary, the ubiquitous nature of seven is resounding testimony of how Kedusha is the central and all-encompassing theme of life. Is that not what's going on in Parshat more? I mean, come on. Malkut Koanim, kingdom of priests. We're living as kings and priests. And it says that it is essential for a Jew to elevate the full spectrum of the natural world and all of its multiple components toward this higher noble goal. All of his endeavors are to be sanctified as the means to serve God. He must direct the sixth directional physical world to the spiritual seventh point within it. Don't you just love that? Like if we really want to elevate the world, it's what it's by doing what's within the world at its central point, which by the way is holiness. So to elevate this physical world, we have to bring it to its centralized point that is within it. It's not above it. It's not beyond it. It's within it. Hashem is like, reveal holiness in the world. Be in the world so you can bring this point together, bring this point out, but not of it. You're not scattered to the six directions. You're in all of those directions to bring it in, which happens through Kedusha. Which, by the way, the Zion is likened to a sword and it's likened to sustenance and warfare. So we have a war on our hands to bring holiness. It's a holy war, unlike the Crusades. They thought they were doing a holy war, but again, they're the progeny of, you know, a blasphemer. So there's that. Now. The Atbash of uh, and more is 413, which if you rearrange 413 to 314, you're looking at Shaddai and Memtet. Because that's the Gematria of 314. And again, 4 plus 1 plus 3 is also, or well no, it's not 7, it's 8. But let's look up uh, 413, why don't we? 413, we have a Tav, we have a Yod, we have a Gimel, alright, we have Hazot, which is this, which is by the way, the way that Aharon uh, comes into the Holy of Holies, it comes in with Hazot, which has to do with the Shekinah, and then, um, where is that at? I think I took a picture of it just to source that out.
I can just go right here. I'm trying to navigate between like different screens and I'm like, everything is all right here on the one thing. So once I get my bearings down, I'm going to be really good at this. Here it is. Okay. So Zohar car remote seven. Let's go. Car remote right there. And section seven. All right. Yeah, Zote. It says, thus with Zote. Uh, Zote, it says, the Shekinah is referred to as Zote. So if we say Ha Zote, we're saying the Shekinah which is 413 in Gematria. So on a, because the, you remember the Atbash is when you take every Aleph and turn it into a Tav, every Bet, turn it into a Sheen. So you like do the mirror reflection. So the reflection of a more has to really do with the shaking of a Shem. So as we're studying this parasha, we're getting like, insights on Hashem's divine presence like what's really within Hashem like we learned about the holiness this week we're getting into the purity and we're getting into the the consecration and the sanctity that's going on so anyway so that's 413 and we got a brand or no, the order of Gematria 34 let's go ahead and get 34 in there 34, the Gematria of 34, doll, like a poor one. And again, we talked about the poor person and we talked about the rich person, that they're all both brought together in a shim. So, you know, if it's hard for you to understand, that's also considered a poorness. And then if you are just challenged and struggled, you know, and you just feel like at, at your wit's end, then Pasha and more is here for you. All right, and then we have Gaal or Goel, which is Redeemer, which is, I love that. And then, uh, you know, we all need a little bit of redemption. And the word Levav, which is heart, with two bets, which actually alludes to the two inclinations. You have an evil inclination and you have a good inclination. And Hashem says, if you observe the Torah, it seasons your evil inclination to be subservient to your good inclination. So therefore, if you're really grabbing a hold of the Torah of Hashem, then what you're actually doing is you're bringing even your evil inclination into undivided service to Hashem, which, by the way, is connected to the Omer. And if you spell Levav backwards, it actually becomes Babel, like as in the Tower of Babel. And, uh... You know, we don't want any of that. So if we could all have a, a upright heart before Shem, that'd be great. And cause even our evil inclination to serve Shem by using all of our ambitions, desires, all of our urges, all of our passions uh, and things like that. Bringing them into subservience to Shem's Torah. 
And this last gematra I want to introduce is called Ophanim. It says you replace each letter with the last letter of its name. For example, Aleph. Well, the last letter of its name, if you spell out Aleph, the last letter of the way you spell Aleph is with the letter Pei, which is Fei. That's why it's Aleph with the f sound at the end. That's the letter of the Fei, which is also the letter of Pei. Uh, Pei and Fei are the same letter. Uh, if you have the letter Bet, well, t, the last sound is a Tav. So, and then you have Gimel. Last letter, last sound is L, so that would be a Lamed. Okay, so with that being said, the Ophanim of Emor, so you have Aleph, which will be Fe, and then uh, Mim, which is a Mim, and then you have Resh, which is a Sheen. So Pe Sheen, that's 370. No, yeah, 370, and then you have... The mem here, three seventy plus forty four eleven. Wow, <laughs> I said th th wow. I just don't worry. I'm just typing on the fly, flying and typing. Four ten. Okay, so three seventy four ten. So. When you look at Amor as an Ophanim, saying it's 313, so maybe I am misspelling one of the letters. Or let me go back and recalculate to make sure. Oh, because Faye is 80. Goodness gracious. Aleph Memtov, if you don't get it together, boy, I tell you what, tell you what, boy. Alright, so 380. Let's try this again. Cause you got the Sheen and the Fay. Plus 40. Now where we at? 420. Alright. Brukashem. Love it when a plan comes together. Now, 420 is the gematria of what? All right, Tav, Kaf. It is the Gematria of Ashan, which is smoke. That's nice. Like the, the smoke that leads the Kohen into the Holy of Holies from the incense and the smoke that was on top of the mountain. That Memtet helped Moshe go through so he can get up the mountain to Hashem. Brought down by the Keher Tumash and Shemot 24. Um, and then we got Shlamim, like the peace offering. That's nice. So, yeah. And we have, is that, no, that's not Zipporim. Is that birds, really? Let me see. If this is the word for birds, that's going to be so crazy. Not, not, not going to know what to do with myself right now. Because this takes us back 
Let me just make sure. It is Zipporim. All right. Hold up. I got to gather my composure real quick. In Parsha Medora, right? Okay, so Parsha Medora, the person is afflicted with Zarat. Person afflicted with Zarat has to bring two birds to the Cohen. Now, I'm going over here to Benny B, Ladder of Jacob, Shlita, and I want to first of all point out that the gematria of bird is the gematria of Mashiach. It says Zippor or Zippor equals 370, which is the same gematria of Zehu Mashiach, which is this one is Mashiach. So if we have Zipporim, we're talking about the two Mashiachs. So again, the essence of the two Mashiachs is found in Parsha and more. And again, that just goes right back to what I was talking about in the introduction uh, of Parsha and more, the RPM was that the the table of showbread talks about the two Mashiachs being suspended on a pole. But let me go back to this here, over here where he brings it down. He says that Sefer Vayikra describes the Corbin of a Metzora. There shall be the Torah of the Metzora in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the Kohen. And the Kohen shall go forth out of the camp. The Kohen shall examine him. Behold, if the plague of Zaharat is healed in the Medzora, then the Kohen shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two living, clean birds. One of these birds dies, by the way. Again, that's in chapter 14. So this is the beautiful part about keeping our Torah studies going is that they all build on each other. So by the time you get to the final Torah portion and you're in the, the festival of Sukkot, you're going to have this big Lego built uh, thing here of insights and connections going on. So anyway, but yes, yeah, so you got this bird. One's going to die. One's going to live. Mashiach ben Yosef dies. Mashiach ben David is the resurrection and the life, right? So, Mashiach ben David, by the way, and Mashiach ben Yosef are one. So literally the two are one. And there's death and then there's eternal life involved. The way that Sukkah 52 brings this down is that Mashiach ben David sees Mashiach ben Yosef slain. And he asks Hashem for the gift of life. Hashem's like, I already knew you were going to ask that, but here you go. And then Mashiach ben David goes and resurrects Mashiach ben David. And the two become one. And as Kol Hator brings down that they become like inseparable friends, Mashiach ben Yosef is the throne, and Mashiach ben David is the king of that throne, which is the throne of David. So literally the throne of David, that Hashem said, your throne will be everlasting, all having to do with David repenting and being a man after God's own heart, being obedient and all that. So that leads to the two Mashiachs, which is the throne and the king on the throne. And that is the gematria of the Ophanim of Parsha and more. So, 
that is uh, that is that, and we'll leave that there. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, please send Mashiach now. <laughs>